be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, Rick spent some time on that the last several weeks. It was a great teaching. You need to go back and hear that. And then the next thing that he does is he gives the household code of how we should function as a family, how we should function in marriage. And he sets that out because he's living in a day and time where people think that this Christian wall is just liberty to do whatever I want since I'm free in Christ. But Paul is saying, wait a minute, we're going to have to go back to Genesis and take a look at the order and design that God has put for us. So I'm asking you to examine your marriage. I'm asking you to examine your family as we look at God's picture. So I'm just going to read the, 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 these next three verses because there's something here for wife and women. There's something here for husband and men. There's something here for children. There's something here for employee and employer. It is God's design. It is God's order. So we're just going to look at these next few verses. And it says, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Now when you look at these three verses, these three verses, for some reason, has found a way of becoming controversy in the church. And it never should be. It never should be a controversy. Why? Because what we're talking about here is God's order and God's design. This is what we're talking about. Now, let me tell you what we're not talking about. We're not talking about second-class citizens. We're not talking about worth. We're not talking about values. We're not talking about who's more intellectual or anything of that nature. And yet, in this society, we have made it all of that. That's what we've done. Now, I'm going to give you an example of something, and then I'm going to start showing you what God is saying. Now, if you, in this day and age, have been raised in this culture, you have been raised in a culture that has taken a picture and have made it impressing what you would call an impression of something, and then have made it abstract. Let me explain. As I talked to my wife in the beauty of the world of art, you would go to a museum and you would look at a picture or look at what you would call a painting. Now, in the art world, there's something called realism. It's a real picture of something, and you can look at it and it describes itself. That is a picture, okay? And uh, you can say, oh, that's the picture. Somebody takes a snapshot. That is a picture of a mountainside. That's exactly what it is. It's real. It reflects realism because that's exactly what it is. But then there's other paintings and drawings that have something that's called impressions. Now, what they are is they are little impressions of what might be. Now, if you go down uh, in, in the northern uh, part of Old Town, you will see this cafe called Starry Night. Well, Starry Night, I think, is a name of an impression of what twilight would look like. It's not real. It's just an impression. And so somebody drew something, and they, they, they threw some paint on the wall, and they painted some stars, and they put up some you know, some clouds or some hazy, whatever it is, that is an impression of what a night looks like. It's not the real thing, but it's an impression. And then you can go in some of these museums and look at this stuff that people just threw on the wall. <laughs> and guess what? You can interpret it however you want to. Whatever you think it is, that's what it is. Now here's the problem. That's what we've done with marriage in this day and age. See, we don't, we don't look at the perfect picture anymore, but we put our impression on it. That's what we do. And we reduce it 
to what we think it needs to be. We even decide what marriage looks like. We even decide who we're going to marry. We even decide the kind of marriages that we want. We can mix and match, and we can do all that stuff. And then you have this abstract, this, this abstract thing of marriage. Whatever I say goes. Whoever I want to marry goes. It could be a man. It could be a woman. It can be a dog. It can be a cat. Because that's what I decided. Well, see, what Paul was doing here was talking about the church. And what he does is he takes marriage and he relates it to the church. They do not buck against each other. They lay alongside of each other. That's what Paul is doing here. So what we have here, ladies and gentlemen, from verse 22 all the way to chapter 6 to verse 4 is the total picture of what you would call household code. Now I want you to understand something. That household code became the base for every organization from then on. Because that household code started in the book of Genesis. It started with Adam and Eve. Now think about this. The same designer who designed man is the same designer who designed the home. It's the same designer who designed business. Same designer. And what we've done it's we've kind of put our own, whatever you call, twists on this. And so what Paul is getting ready to do, he's getting ready to show you about design and all. Now watch this. He's already talked about worth. He's already talked about value. He's already talked about functions and all of that. So when he gets to this particular set of scriptures, he's just really talking about design and all. That's it. There's no fight here against man and woman. There's no fight of the sexes here. There's no competition here. It is pure order and design. That's it. Now the problem is that it has seeped into the church and even the church has become guilty of doing the same thing that the world is doing yes. and we call it marriage. Mm. No, God is the one who designed God is, this is an institution that God has put, not man. And so you and I have become subject to that. Now here's my last illustration, and we're going to jump right into the word on this. Now, if you grew up in this society right now in the last 15, let's say in the last 50 years, if you get used to seeing what is called a dirty copy, and when you hear about marriage, it's a dirty copy. Because all you hear is what's out there. All you see is what's on the screen. All you see is what's on the internet. All you see is what people tell you. But you don't go look at the original. Because in your society, all they're throwing on the TV, all they're throwing on the internet is a dirty copy. And what happens is you get so used to that dirty copy, you think that's the original. And that's what happened to me in business one time. When I was early in my years of working with Rick over at First Christian Church, I was working upon him as an assistant youth pastor. And we had a copy machine. And I didn't know much about technology. I don't even know that much about technology today. I just make a call and receive one. I text every now and then, and that's it. But what happened was we had this old copy machine, and what happened was there was a young lady that we had just hired who was a professional and what she did. And she, I can remember her giving me some copies of some information that I wanted. And she said, I want you to understand something. Did you know that this copy that you're getting is dingy? I go, they all look the same to me. So what happened is we brought in what you would call a technician. And that technician came in and he took the toner and he changed it. He cleaned the copier up. And then the next copy we got, she showed it to me, and she showed me the one that I was used to seeing, and she showed me the one that was clean. And she said, look, this is what a good copy looks like. Now, guess what happened? If all the world is showing you is a dirty copy, you think that's it. And when you see the clean one, guess what? You get offended by it. Because you think 
think somebody's trying to tell you something. You think somebody's trying to control you. You think somebody's trying to dominate you. You think somebody's trying to manipulate you. You think somebody's trying to cause picket sides and fight. That ain't it. See, because the perfect copy is right here in Scripture. The perfect copy goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. And that's what Paul is referring to. And the church is supposed to reflect how the bride looks. The church is supposed to reflect how the bride acts. The church is supposed to reflect about what marriage truly is. But we have fallen into the world and we have embraced the dirty copy. Because somebody said being a woman was a second class citizen. Somebody said having kids was derogatory. Somebody says being a female meaning you are just as good or just as smart or just as strong. You can do whatever you want and still come home and make me feel like a man. And somebody bought into that lie. And somebody told some guy that he was dominant, he was the it, he was everything, he could control. That's a lie. Until you see the perfect copy. Then you see what God wants. Church, are you hearing that all? Yes, amen. Okay. You understand that. You can get angry, you can get upset. But the one you got to deal with is God, not me. Yes, amen. That's what you got to deal with. And we're in a world of hurt today because we have stopped looking <laughs> at the perfect copy. And the pendulum swings so much to one side. Because none of this that you're getting ready to see is solely to the point where I am passive and none of this swings to the other side to where I'm aggressive. But I'm right here in the middle because I understand. I understand what the picture is. Now we're getting ready to hit this. What you have here, ladies and gentlemen, is a picture of marriage and the church. And this picture has within it what is called mutual submission and respect. Notice the word mutual. Notice the word submission and notice the word respect. And what I'm gonna show you in just a second here is that marriage should be this picture where love, submission, and obedience should be reflected all the time. Now, he has caused the man to love. He has called the wife to love. He has called the children to love. But he has called the man to be the epitome of love in the family. He has called the wife to be submissive. Guess what? He's called the man to be submissive. Guess what? He's called the children to be submissive. Check this out. But the wife should be the epitome of submission. He has called the children to obey. But he's caused the man to obey. He's called the woman to obey. But guess what? He wants the children to be the epitome of obedience. So in the marriage, there should be reflected what? Obedience. There should be reflected submission. And there should be reflected love. All three of those represent the Trinity. Think about it. God is love. Yes. Jesus is obedient to the Father. And the Spirit is submissive to what they do. Think about that. So you sit here and we get our jaws tight because somebody tells somebody to submit. We get our jaws tight because somebody tells somebody to love and somebody tells somebody to obey and all we're reflecting is the Trinity. That's it. So marriage should be a reflection of love, of submission, and obedience. That's marriage. Let me show you something as 
we begin to look at this. I'm going to take you to Genesis. I'm going to take you to uh, what is called the second chapter of the book of Genesis. And I want you to look at this. I want you to look at what's getting ready to unfold here because Genesis from chapter 1 to chapter 11 is the book of foundational beginnings. You see the beginning of man, you see the beginning of creation, you see the beginning of catastrophe, you see the beginning of all kinds of stuff. Now when it gets to chapter 12, now you're going to see people start living it out with Abraham and all the way up. But with the first 11 chapters, people will tell you, you destroy the first 11 chapters of Genesis, you destroy the whole Bible. Because it's the book of beginnings. Now I'm going to show you this. It says, then the Lord said, watch this, it is not good for man to be alone. You know what he's doing? He's the one that initiated the fact that man needed to have a companion. Yes. That was God's idea. That's the first thing you see here. It's initiation. And then he says, I will what? I will make him a helper. Watch this. Suitable. Now, when you look at this word suitable, it means fashioned. It means shaped. For a kind like him. That's what he's saying here. Shape with a kind like him. And he says, out of the ground, okay, the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man so he could see what he would call him. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was his name. You know what he's showing Adam? He showed Adam that he's different. Adam has a tremendous vocabulary. Now, Adam did all this way before Eve showed up. That's why the word helper is put there. She didn't come to bring something new in the sense of what was going on in the garden. She came to help him tend it. And then it moves on, and it says that the man gave names to all the cattle and all the birds and all the sky and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. You know what else he's saying? That bestiology was wrong. Adam is not going to have a relationship with animals. So this whole bestiology thing of people having sex with dogs and things like that was a no-no. Now this is Genesis. This is the Bible. Look at it. Read it. And then he moves on and says, it's so God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man, and he slept. And then he took out of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. Let's go on to verse 22. It says, and the Lord fashioned into a woman the rib which had taken from a man and brought her to the man. Notice the next thing here. He had nothing to do with it. God put it to sleep. <laughs> Think about that. This is the book of Genesis, ladies and gentlemen. This is the word of God. Yes. Your contention is not with me. It's with the word. And then he moves on and he says, the man said, watch this. This is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called Isha. Because he is called Ish. Not Kish. Ish. And because she was taken out of a man. Right away, you understand, he didn't create another man. He didn't create two women. She had no children attached to her. It was a man and a woman, and virginity was high. That's the way it started. Oh, don't get uncomfortable on me now. What I'm saying to you, it means that there was something about her that was different. She was like him, but she was not like him. She was the other that helped identify him, and she was one who helped identify her. It was about identity. He even recognized it, and he says this. Now, here comes the institution of marriage. And he says, for this reason, a man shall what? Leave his father and mother. You know, there are two relationships in the Bible. Husband and wife, 
brother and sister. That's it. Period. That's it. Husband and wife, you get father, brother and sister, your children. And then what happens is when that man leaves that father and mother and clings to his wife, now they form a brand new umbrella. That's God's design. That's God's order. Church, are you following me at all this morning? Yes, amen. I mean, y'all need to take this tape and give it to some friends or either invite them to church next week because we're going to be on this one for a couple of weeks because there's some other principles here we don't have time to go through this morning. But then he says, one flesh and the man and his wife, watch this, were both naked and here's the beauty, they were not ashamed. Shame is all over relationships today. Shame is all over marriage today. We have taken something that God has designed for the bedroom and the bedroom only yes. between a husband and a wife, and that is it behind closed doors. We have taken it and we have put it on the TV screen. We have put it on the internet. It's no big thing. You can walk down the street. You can see it. People don't care how they dress. They don't care how they look. Now, it's all shame, and we've embraced it as the norm. You see? So Paul is taking something from Genesis, bringing it to the Tower of Ephesians, but where in many places like Ephesians, also in the town of Corinth, we're going to go there in just a second, and that these things have become what shameful about the way we act and the way we think and what we do. But how many places on the radio, on the TV, do you people preaching this stuff? See, we've gotten away from it. Now the church is guilty. If anybody should be talking about sex, the church should. If anybody should be talking about marriage, the church should. If anybody should be talking about the family, the church should. Now, I'm speaking this way because I hope somebody will call in and get the tape. Because they need to hear it. Because we have embraced it. We have embraced the dysfunction, malfunction, whatever. And this is God's honor. And this is God's design. Now, the problem even worsens when you talk about what happens inside the marriage. Now, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians. Okay? Now, I'm laying this out for you so that when you go back and begin to read this verse 22, 23, and 24, you have a foundation. Now, I want to show you something here in uh, 1 Corinthians 11. Now, you need to know what was going on because Paul not only wrote to the Ephesians church, but guess what? He had to write to the church at Ephesus. Why? I mean, I mean, church at Corinth. Why? Because you need to know what was happening in Corinth. Paul comes to a city that was well known for prostitution. And at the top of this city, up high up on the hill, was this temple, uh, Aphrodite Temple. And these prostitutes would come down in the evening, every day, and do business. And guess what? It was a big business. Man, it was an open business. It was pornographic and everything. Paul comes to Corinth, not only to intellectually set some of those Epicureans free, but also to free women. Because when he starts sharing the gospel, these people start getting saved, these prostitutes. Guess what happened? They started coming to church. <laughs> yeah. I want y'all to understand something. Y'all can laugh if you want to, but it was funny. Because all of a sudden, these women start coming to church. Guess what? And they're dressed the same way that they were dressed when they were doing business. But they had their hair braided. They had all kinds of stuff. But it was bothering some of the Christians in Corinth. So they wrote Paul a letter. And they said, Paul, what should we do? Okay. Now, we understand liberation and all of that. But man, these people are becoming a distraction. Okay? So the issue started coming to Corinth in the sense of, watch this, it was okay for the church to be inside of the city of Corinth, but it wasn't okay for Corinth to be inside of the church. So Paul had the right to them. And all of a 
sudden this issue of men and women started coming up. And the church started fighting over it. Now, once again, I want you to understand something. What he's about to write here has nothing to do with intelligence. Has nothing to do with value. Has nothing to do with worth. Has nothing to do with dignity. Once again, it has everything to do with honor and desire. Watch what he says. Be imitators of me just as I also am imitators of Christ. Now, I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly, watch this, to the traditions. And he said, just as I have delivered to you what I want you to understand that Christ, here we go, design, is the head of every man. Now, when you take the word head and break it down, it's not talking about dominance. It's not talking about control. You know what the word head means? Head means that from which everything else proceeds. If you study it. That's all that word means. It means covering. That's all it is. Nowhere does that word mean dominance. Nowhere does that word mean control. Nowhere does that word mean more smarter or more gifted or anything. But yet, when the controversy comes in the church, that's what the fight is over. Say, Because we don't understand what's going on here. But if you go back and read the Bible, it'll tell you. One thing Rick taught me earlier when I was working with him as a pastor, he said, John, let's teach the truth first. We'll deal with the controversy later. You know why? Because if it's true, it's not new. And if it's new, it ain't the truth. Are y'all hearing me all this morning? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Now, he says Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman. That head is not talking about dominance. It's not talking about control. It's basically getting ready to, to communicate to you what the head is. And he's saying this. And God is the head of Christ. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head uncovered, unprotected, uncounted for, unrecognized by something over her, okay, disgraces her head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, and she is one and the same as the, the woman who has her head shaved. And it was an embarrassment back in those days for a woman to shave her head off. Very embarrassing. Because that distinguished her from a man on the outside. So there's another thing that distinguished her. But now, now, now today is just a big thing. It's called style. <laughs> it's, it's, it's called, you know, cosmopolitan. Okay. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if she is disgraceful for a woman, because it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off and her head shaved, let her cover her head. Now keep going. I'm going to show you how he shares this. Keep going. For a man ought not to have his head covered since he is the image of the glory of God. Now watch. Way before Eve came, Adam was God's image. She came from him. It's about design and honor, not second-class citizens. See, you, you, you got to get this if you want to understand Ephesians. You got to get this, okay? It, 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 it says, for the woman is the glory of man. Now, watch this. Now, if man is the reflection of God, which means the woman is the reflection of God too, but she came from him, therefore she is the glory of him because she what reflects something a little bit more than what he has. My wife's got glory all over. Glory means to what? Manifest something. And things are manifested on the woman's body that is not manifested on the man. The glory. That's beautiful. Yes. That's all beautiful. That's not second class citizen. And now you got some nipple law in town where, where these things are not covered up anymore. That that glory is not hidden. Hidden. Next thing you're gonna have is you're gonna have a nudity law. Or we're gonna be able to walk here all naked and not be ashamed. What we're doing is we're going back. That's where we headed. And, and so then it moves on, and, and it says, but the woman from the man. See, 
The man does not originate from the woman, but the woman from the man. For indeed, the man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Now, you'd have picket signs all over the place on that thing. You were ready to fight. God said, now, hold on. We're not talking about sin, but a citizen here. Okay? But when we talk about man, now he is talking about mankind. That she is there so that mankind can continue to exist. Yes. But we have dumbed down uh, marriage. We have dumbed down sex. We have dumbed down having kids. But that she was created to give birth, still be a human being, still be intellectual, still be as strong, still be as precious in God's eye, but it is through her that the human race is preserved. Now, you got people who say, we don't need to do that anymore. Look here, folks, we're one generation from extinction because of that thinking. And here it is, right here. Created for the man's sake, that man, as a human being, might continue to exist. Are you getting this? See, but when we move from this and we don't teach this anymore, okay? And then it says, therefore the woman ought to have a symbol of authority. Not one time is the word authority used for dominance ever. For not one time was the word authority used for control, ever. Every time you see the word authority, it's to have the ability to do what you're supposed to be doing. Paul said the only reason why I even have authority is to train and equip people. That's it. God never gave man dominion, watch this, over man. Never. See, if you start understanding these scriptures, then you start understanding what God's trying to do. Because it's all about design. It's all about the heart. Okay? And it says, however, the Lord, uh, uh, a symbol of authority on our head because of the angels. The angels even understand authority. They even understand design. If you, if you go and look, look at the centurion soldier who wasn't even worthy to have Jesus come to his home, he says, man, all you have to do is just say it. Why? Because you have the authority. You have the right and the power. Yeah. See, but the right and the power of authority here, watch this, is to serve. That's all it is. To equip and to train. Not to control. Not to manipulate. Not to dominate. See, but if you listen to the world, they'll tell you, that because of the way man acted, and you swing the pendulum way over here to abuse, man, we are wrong. And then, but you swing the pendulum way over here to total submissiveness and, and what you would call passiveness. It don't look like that. See, it has to be a balance right in the middle of how these things work. Because there has to be some degree of control but the best degree of control is self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> yeah. Are y'all hearing me at all? Yes. I'm just telling you what the scriptures say. I'm not making this up. And then it says, okay, however, in the Lord, here we go, neither is a woman independent of a man, nor is a man independent of a woman. See, now that's an even playing field, don't you think? See, now we're talking about interdependence now. And this is the bride. This is how God wants her to act. See, we're only going to deal with verse 22 in Ephesians 5 today. Because I'm getting ready to close this. But I want you to understand the groundwork. We have to lay the groundwork. Whereas the woman originates from the man. Hold on. Here we go. Here we go. So also the man has high birth, his birth, through the woman. And all things originate from God. You see the balance there? Vicky and I were married for 41 years to fight against each other. See, she has a function 
There's things she can do that I can't. There are things I could do that she can't. Why fight over that? So when the world gives you a dirty copy, and you grew up in the last 50 years, but you don't take the time to look at the original, now you're fighting against the sexes, even to the point where we have perverted it so much, now it looks like abstract, whatever I wanted it to be. And then I lay my what? Impression. Those of you women who are married, 
said, be hypotossal, to be under something, to be beneath something with confidence and assurance. Watch this. Stepping under for the sake of support. That's what hypotossal means. And he says, I want you to be under the protection and under the care of your husband. Okay? Your own husband. One husband. Private, particular, and unique. And this is my order. And this is my desire. Now watch this. Here is what you measure as to the Lord. That's how this is looked at. Now, you need to understand something as I close this. Now, in Galatians 3.28, you don't have to go there, it talks about there is a distinction between a male and a female. Now, that distinction does not determine value. If you look also at 1 Corinthians 7.15, the wives were responsible to have that freedom, but that freedom was not that they had to also serve another man. This was directly to the husband, especially a non-believer. Okay? And then in 2 Timothy 5, it says this, 2 Timothy 2.5, I mean, I'm sorry, Titus 2.5 says this, be subject to one another. And when you do that, so that the what? The word of God will not be maligned. Here's the closing thought. The woman's submission or subjection doesn't make the man lord or master over her. Not one time. But positionally, she is fulfilling a lane of service that God has granted her in Christ to Christ. And you have the same rights and the authority as a man. As a matter of fact, in 1 Timothy, 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 12, you know what it says? It says that the man should treat the woman as a fellow heir of the kingdom. Treat her as a fellow partaker. You know what it says at the bottom of that? Because if you don't, God won't even hear your prayers. Is that powerful? Church, I hope that you got this message today. And it's just the first part of three messages. Because I want you to understand the foundation. There is no competition here. There is no hierarchy here. This is order and design. And I close with this one statement. The word submission and subjection for both men and women is a military term. That's all it says. Because once you get two of the same kind together, somebody needs to be responsible. And guess who God chose? The man. You'll see it all over the Bible. When they blew it, who did he hold responsible? Not the serpent, not Eve. Yeah. I don't know why we're not teaching this anymore in church. Because if you have two heads, you're going to do one or two things with it. You're going to put it behind the cage and kill it. There's only one head. And all God is asking the woman to do is to submit to his leadership. That's it. But if he's leading the way he's supposed to lead, should not be a problem. He never once told Eve to worship Adam. <laughs> Think about that. Never once. He said, you worship me. But in that worship, you submit yourself to his cover. You're not a second class citizen. So wives, be subject to your husbands. As I'm that's just the first lesson. So, as we 
close here. I hope that you've been encouraged. I hope if you had any anxiety about this subject that it's been answered. Okay? I hope you see that God knows what he's doing. And every institution is to be ran the same way. A design. It's got to be ahead. And there are things that I submit to my wife in because she's an authority on it. But see, when God comes to my household, I want y'all to know this now. I don't make all the decisions in my home. Watch this. But I'm responsible for every one of them that's made. Yeah. Amen. I am. Because that's God's order. That's God's desire. So let's uh, get ready to take up our offering today. And uh, hope that you've been encouraged yeah. by the message. <laughs> it's, it's a message that you got to share it in three parts for people to understand it. You can't, you can't do it all in one sermon. But, but, but this is still God's household code. Part one. <laughs> Part two will be next week. Father, we just want to thank you for an opportunity to give. God, we love you and bless you. And we honor you. That's our offering in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, let's stand. Father, we just ask that you would show us exactly what Nat is singing today. If we have an issue with anything going on in our lives, in the church and society, we ask that you take us back to the beginning. Yes, take us back where you established it. Because that's really what it's about. Let's go back and hear what you said. Not, not my interpretations of it, but what the word says from Genesis to Revelation is going to be consistent. Take us back to the beginning. Take us back to our first love. Take us back to the day of our salvation. God, as we lay this foundation in the word, God, I hope this affects our community, our church, our own lives, that God has a desire and God has a heart. We ask all this 